I want to talk to you today about revival, about what it is, about what it isn't, and most importantly, why we need one. And we're going to go ahead and jump straight into our, our psalm text today. For those of you that are just joining us, or if you're just uh, joining us online for the first time, we've been doing an expository look through the book of Psalms, and we, as I say every week, we started at 1 in September of 2018, and here we are on Psalm 85. Uh, Psalm 85 is superscribed to us, uh, to the choir master, a psalm of the sons of Korah. And it begins, Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquities of your people. You covered all their sin. You withdrew all your wrath and turned from your hot anger. Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints. But let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him that glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground and righteousness looks down from the sky. Yes, the Lord will give what is good and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, our Father, we ask you to guide us now by your Holy Spirit that in your truth we may find freedom, that in your will we might discover peace, and give us grace, Father, in this such very short time together to see the wonder of your word that we have opened and apply it to our hearts through Christ our Lord. Amen. So, uh, in our text this morning, the psalmist asked God an important question Will you not revive us again? And you know, uh, like in that great old hymn that, that we sing sometimes, you know, revive us again. I should have had us sing it today. And, and I want us, though, to take some time and analyze what's uh, involved in being revived and what exactly uh, revival is all about. And, and if I were, were going to give you a, a theological definition, perhaps, of the concept of revival, we could say that it refers to a reawakening from from a state of spiritual dormancy and stagnation in the life of a believer. Uh, that it, it encompasses a resurfacing of a love for God uh, and an appreciation of God's holiness. Uh, that it's a renewed passion for His Word and for His church. Uh, that it's a convicting awareness uh, of personal sin and of, of corporate sin, along with a spirit of humility and a desire for repentance and growth in righteousness. And I know that's a whole, whole big mouthful of a definition, but uh, what may surprise you, though, is what revival is not, is not evangelism, even though many may be saved as a result of it. But its primary operation is in the life of believers. Uh, and it's not charismatic emotionalism, although there may be emotional manifestations connected to it. No, it's, its real indicator is a renewal of spiritual life in an individual, or, or among a group of people that 
in many respects replicates a believer's experience when he or she is first saved. Uh, it is initiated by a prompting of the Holy Spirit, creating an awareness of, of something missing uh, or something wrong in the believer's life that can only be righted by God. Uh, and in turn, the, the genuine Christian responds from the heart, acknowledging their need, and so then the evidence of revival having taken place through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit becomes the fruit of a changed life. Now, I'll tell you, the, the first large-scale revival, or also called the Great Awakening, actually began in 1730 in England, uh, moved over to the English-speaking colonies here in North America, particularly among we Congregationalists uh, in New England and Presbyterians in the Middle and Southern colonies. Uh, and it lasted all the way up into about the 1760s. But, you know, it, it moved the church with a convicting awareness of personal guilt and of the awesome nature of our salvation in Jesus Christ. That, that really made Christianity intensely personal in a way that had not been seen since the days of the Reformation. Now the second Great Awakening, the revival movement that came during the early 19th century, it was primarily here in the United States, but it attracted hundreds of converts through the Methodist circuit riders to reach people in frontier locations and then uh, spilled over into places like Kentucky and Tennessee with Baptists. But, you know, instead of talking about all that history, what I really want to do is make it more personal than that. So I want to give you uh, a quick example of its effects in the life of an individual man, uh, a Scotsman who lived kind of right in the middle of those two eras of revival, a man by the name of William P. McKay, who uh, was born in 1839, uh, pr a brilliant guy. Uh, who left, at the age of 17, left home for college. Uh, his mother was a very godly Christian woman who had uh, raised William in the church. Uh, and so before he left, she gave him a Bible to take with him. And in the, in the flyleaf of, of the Bible, as people often do, she wrote his name, uh, she wrote her name, and she wrote a scripture verse. The young man leaves for college, went on from there to medical school, but he began, as, as often happens, to fall in with the wrong crowd, and he, he wandered far away from uh, what he had been taught at home by his mother until one day in a, a drunken spree, he actually pawned that Bible that his mother had given him for just enough money to buy another round of drinks. Uh, now, amazingly, amazingly, in spite of his alcoholism, he, he somehow made it through medical school, uh, went on to become a very successful doctor, actually rising to become the head of the largest hospital in Edinburgh. Uh, but as his career blossomed, his, his Christian walk became almost non-existent to the point where he joined and at, at one time became president of uh, the Royal Society of Atheists there in Edinburgh. But, you know, God had a different plan for him. And that could be the story of many of us as well. And I'm going to actually share it with you in his own words, which I think is a, a unique treasure, because we have his written testimony. This is the written testimony of Scottish doctor William Patton McKay, and this is what he writes. Uh, he said, my, my dear mother had been a godly, pious woman, quite often telling me of the Savior, and many times I had been witness to her wrestling in prayer for my soul's salvation, but nothing had made a deep impression on me. And then the older I grew, the more wicked I became. 
He says, one day a seriously injured laborer was brought into the hospital and the case was hopeless. He seemed to realize his condition for he was fully conscious and asked me how long he would last. I gave him my opinion in as cautious a manner as I could, but asked, have you any relatives whom we should notify? The man shook his head. His only wish was to see his landlady because he owed her a, a small sum and he wished to bid her farewell. He also requested his landlady send him the book. And Mackie says, I uh, went to see him on my regular rounds over the next few days, and what struck me the most was the quiet, almost happy expression constantly on his face. After the man dies, he says some things about the deceased affairs were to be attended to in my presence. Uh, what shall we do with this? asked his nurse, holding up a book in her hand. What kind of book is it? I asked. The Bible of the poor man, she replied, as long as he was able to read it, he did so, and when he was unable to do so anymore, he kept it under his bed covers. And he says, I took the Bible, and could I trust my eyes? It was my own Bible. The Bible which my mother had given me when I left my parents' home, and which later, when short of money, I had sold for a small amount. My name was still written in my mother's hands. And with a deep sense of shame, I looked upon the precious book that had given such comfort and refreshing to the unfortunate man in his last hours. It had been a guide to him unto eternal life. So he had been able to die in peace and happiness. And this book, the last gift of my mother, I actually sold for a ridiculous price. Be it sufficient to say that the regained possession of my Bible was the providential cause of my conversion. Brothers and sisters, a cause that nothing but the intervening hand of God could have brought about. Incredible story, right? And, and the story goes on. He goes on to, to tell that he was so overwhelmed that, that he took that Bible and slipped it under his coat and he, he rushed back to his private office and it was there uh, in his office that this doctor who had become a wicked infidel and atheist, fell to his knees praying that God would have mercy on him. Uh, and it was there that God answered the deepest longings of our human hearts that he, he would, in the words of our psalm text today from Psalm 85, show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Uh, granted, Father, at the foot of the cross, where, whereas our text today says, steadfast love and faithfulness meet, where righteousness and peace kiss each other. Uh, and Dr. McKay immediately contacted his mother to tell him of his salvation and how God had used the Bible that she had given him to so dramatically answer her prayers. Uh, and it was from that great reawakening by the grace of God that William Patton McKay, a world-renowned doctor, uh, gave up his career to become a Presbyterian pastor, uh, a well-known author and the songwriter of 17 hymns, and in fact, it was from his pen that we received that beautiful hymn I mentioned at the beginning. Uh, we praise thee, O Lord, for the Son of thy love. For Jesus, who died and is now gone above, hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Revive us again. Revive us again. Fill each heart with thy love. May each soul be rekindled with fire from above. 
And brothers and sisters, that's the fire we need, the fire from above to rekindle a love for Christ and for His Word. Because I've got to tell you, revival is not something that can be turned on and off like a light switch. Uh, we can't work it up. We can't plan it out. We can't schedule one and then uh, pick a certain date and send out flyers. No, it, it's got to happen first in the hearts of God's people if it's ever going to happen in the lives of the general public. And, and so my challenge to you and to myself today is to pray uh, in the words of our psalm text today, will you not revive us again, Lord, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us, show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Grant us your Yeshua. Grant us your Jesus. And I, I know McKay would agree with that thought wholeheartedly because before he died, Dr. McKay wrote, Jesus did all the saving work. He brought the cross to our level. He said, get saved by looking to Him. So lie down as a wounded, helpless, ungodly sinner and look away from yourself and ask the Lord for revival. Look to Jesus today and be born again. Amen? Amen. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, we ask You, Lord, will You not revive us again? Will You not send Your Holy Spirit through this land? Uh, will you not bring your people back to your word and to a pure love of Jesus Christ? Uh, and will you not, Father, continue to uh, allow your word to go forward, not only in this community, uh, but to this state and to this nation and around the world, so the kingdom of Christ may be expanded and glorified? Because it's in his name we pray. Amen.